Welcome to episode seven of the Stageworthy podcast. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. On Stageworthy, I interview people who make theater, actors, directors, playwrights, and more, and talk to them about everything from why they chose the theater to their work process and everything in between. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at stageworthypodcast.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use and consider leaving a comment or rating. My guest is Sarah Wynn Stanley, an actor from Winnipeg now living and working in Toronto. Originally intending to follow an academic career, Sarah instead found the theatre. We'll talk about that and more in just a minute. Sarah Wayne Stanley, thank you for, for coming on. You're welcome. So you are sort of, I, I hate to use the word transplant, but you're sort of a, a you came fr- to Toronto from Winnipeg. Yes. Um, what drew you from Winnipeg to Toronto? So I came here for acting. Um, the industry is just larger here. In Winnipeg, there are are a couple agents but they're sort of not necessary the actors just communicate with the casting directors well casting director sort of singular there's one Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there's the background casting there's a couple of them but essentially there's one so if you really wanted to take it seriously which i did and i still do you sort of have to move to a place where there's a market for it, which in Canada is Toronto. Mm -hmm. We were debating between, because I moved with some girls from college, we were debating between Vancouver and Toronto, and we'd sort of heard that if you go to Vancouver, you sort of get your rounds on the shows in your first two years, and then you can't work. And that's what I've heard a lot, and I knew there was more theater in Toronto, Versus Vancouver, so that's why we ultimately picked Toronto to mm-hmm. move to. Was that was that a difficult choice? I mean, you say we. There was a group of you. Are all of you still here, or is it? So there was two of us that moved here together, and then four months later, another girl from college joined us. But it was essentially the two of us that made the decision together. So we graduated from college, and then we spent a year sort of working and doing small stuff in Winnipeg. Um, and we'd heard people from our program that had moved to Toronto previously had done it by themselves and some had moved back and we just heard that it was really hard to do it by yourself and that if you had a support system already out there it would be a lot easier Mm -hmm. so that's what we did and found that to be very true I don't think it would have worked as well if we had done it alone Um, yeah so we got our first apartment together we actually we lived on couches in Mississauga for a few weeks before we sort of got our footing in Toronto. And we didn't know the city. We didn't know that Toronto was so elitist to the downtown core. We didn't know that if you didn't live in the core, people didn't really care, which is what I found. So we got an apartment in North York and didn't realize how separated we were from the arts community in the core until Mm. we moved downtown. And it was like living in a completely different city. But that yeah. took us a long time to figure out. What was, I mean, being from Toronto, I know what the, de- like, <clears throat> excuse me, I know the people who were like, oh, I don't go north of Bloor, or the yeah. furthest north I'll go is Eglinton, you know, yeah. and they do that like once a year maybe. But um, did you find, so you found that, a, like, was that a barrier just to the social or was that a barrier to being a part of the community? I think both. Definitely my social life has grown exponentially since living downtown. And I guess I'm technically outside of the core, but I'm still close enough. Um, We lived in an apartment building that was basically people over 40 in desk jobs and office jobs and didn't realize what we were missing Mm -hmm. until we moved here. And for us in our early 20s, the nightlife, the social life, even being around artists our own age was a crazy difference. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the, the neighborhood that you live in, 
is, I mean, it's not downtown. Right. But I know people who will go east-west before they'll go north-south. Yeah. Right? It's a strange barrier. Yeah, north of Bloor, it's like, that's savage country. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm sort of like that, too. Of course, yeah. Because I've become accustomed to it. I'm like, oh, north of Bloor, I guess. Yeah. Um, Coming from Winnipeg to Toronto, aside from the fact that the industry is bigger here, um, what's the biggest difference in terms of the, the culture of theater between the two? Um, I think there's a bigger divide here just because there are more performers that the divide between union and non-union is a lot clearer. Um, everyone doesn't know you here. Like, I guess once you really get into it, everyone sort of does know each other, but also not, if that makes sense. Um, in Winnipeg, sort of everyone knows each other. Um, and the people who do, you know, the main stage shows, the MTC and stuff, those have also done shows with people who are just graduating, and they've done community shows as well. And here I find there's a much bigger divide between the professional and the non-professional. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess <clears throat> I, might, I might use a different term, the professional and the indie, yeah. I think, because there's, there is... In, in my experience, sort of this, this line of still professional, but not like not one of the, like not Tarragon, Pasmarai, right. not, not the, the established theaters, but something more like Red Sandcastle, the storefront, and, and smaller theaters like yeah. that. And I even hate saying non-professional mm-hmm. because I've done community theater and the people I work with are high caliber yeah and i feel like i'm brought to a new level when i work with them and just because it's community theater or not you know an a or a b house i still don't like calling it non-professional but course, i don't yeah. know how to word it no i and it's it's it is a difficult a difficult thing to express a lot of the time like what is the difference i mean there there are the paycheck <laughs> community theaters right yeah and they are they are that they you know, they, they belong to the community theater organization under Theater Ontario, and mm-hmm. they're very open about the, you know, they do things like you pay dues and things like that, but then there's the other theaters, which are, you audition to get in just like you would for anything else. The only difference is that chances are that show is so indie, you're not going to see the paycheck. Right. <clears throat> um, but in terms of, of the Winnipeg scene, I mean, I know for myself, I've done, I've been to the Winnipeg Fringe, Mm -hmm. but I don't know anything about the theater scene outside of Fringe. Um, I moved, right, so I went to college when I was 17, I graduated when I was 18, and then I moved to Toronto when I was 19, so I didn't actually stay there long enough to sort of get into... The bigger shows mm-hmm. there. I have done Winnipeg Fringe, which is amazing, yeah, as you yeah. know. Um, yeah, so now I'm meeting people who in Toronto are coming from Winnipeg. Like there's a show at the Panasonic right yeah. now where a lot of them are from Winnipeg. A lot of the crew is from Winnipeg mm-hmm. who have done shows at MTC, Manitoba Theater Center, and the warehouse and things like that. And now I sort of feel like I missed out. Mm. on a chance of being a part of those moving away from a community where a few people did know who I was mm. into a bigger pond where absolutely no one knew who I was it's difficult it's difficult to go from <clears throat> from the small pond yeah to a bigger one and I wasn't by any means a big fish in a small pond at all but I went to a college where people knew the graduates People, I would say the name and they'd be like, oh, okay, you know so-and-so, you're connected that way. Right. And I would immediately have a conversation with them. Right. And here, I don't have that. No. And the funny thing with my college, which I found sort of be the bane of my existence here, it was recently bought out. So I went to a media college. They had a broadcasting program, an acting program, and they were starting a media writing program. And a few years after I graduated from the acting program, it was bought out. The whole school was bought out by another college. 
and then they discontinued the acting program. So now oh. you can't even look up where I went to college. Oh, no, which that's, is that's rough. Insane. So yeah. I had I met with someone once, and she said, "Yeah, I looked up the school you went to, and I couldn't find it." And I like had to explain the whole thing to her. I was like, "I swear it exists. Yeah, I have a student loan that proves it <laughs> exists. It was you know sponsored by the government. I swear." Um, but uh, yeah, it's hard to explain. That's that. that's it's hard to explain, especially if that happens in like uh, a cat in a casting director's office or in an audition situation. Yeah, where you're like never heard of your school, can't find it online. Is it a real thing? Yeah. Um, what is it about theater that drew you to it? I, when did you first know uh, that theater was something you loved? It was really weird. So when it's sort of film and theater are meshed together for me, I always, I shouldn't say I always, because I always wanted to be a marine biologist and then I wanted to be a gym teacher and I sort of always came back to acting, even though I never really thought it was a viable career path or something that was realistic for my life. Um, I think when I was in seventh or eighth grade, I um, was an extra on a film set and I had never been, I just saw an advert, I was like, that looks really fun, I should go. So I got my mom, it was a night shoot, I got my mom to drive me at like 11.30 into the downtown gross, dirty Winnipeg core and dropped me off and all I knew was that I was supposed to wear a red sweater and that's it. I had no idea what the movie was for and then I saw, you know, the big lights on the streets, you know, the huge cranes and I was just in awe. I was absolutely floored. It was just lighting but it was so impressive and so magical to me that I just knew I had to be a part of it. So from then I would sort of get my mom to drive me to random casting calls. We went to a few things that turned out to be like scams, but like yeah. I didn't know. We're just like you go to those open house things and you don't know. Um, and then I did shows in high school and I loved it, but again I never really thought it was something that was possible. And I was very academic as a kid. My whole family is very book smart, very academic, and I always thought if you didn't go to college get a proper four-year degree in you know math or science engineering something like that you were stupid you're never gonna go anywhere in life like I was very academic and had very strong views mm -hmm. about the path you should take in life and then when I was in grade 12 I veered very much in the opposite direction do you know what it was that 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 caused you to make that switch the thing is, it sounds crazy, like I don't know why I'm doing this. It was just something that was always in the back of my mind. And I, I, there was not like a moment, which, I, I mean, I wish there was, but there really wasn't. Because <laughs> that would make me, make it sound more impressive or something. I don't know. Um, I think I'd just done books and academics for so long that I was bored of it. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was good at that but it wasn't exciting to mm. me. And I think what was exciting was trying something that I maybe wouldn't be good at and trying something different, like trying a creative path instead of continuing on an academic path that I was good at, but it didn't excite me. How did your family react to that? Um, my mom was supportive. Um, she always is, she's tentative, but supportive. Um, and my dad was, not a big talker. Um, he still wants me to be a flight, what is it, an air traffic controller. That's my dad's dream. So uh, aviation sort of runs my family. My grandpa was a, a trained pilot for World War II. My dad was in aviation his whole life and now he teaches aviation. Um, so all he wants is for his kids to be pilots and his kids to be in aviation <clears throat> at some point. And he's still to this day. I could be on Broadway, which, and my dad would still yeah. be like, so do you want to go and get a science degree? Mm. Like it doesn't, it's just a, a language barrier. Yeah. The creativity on that side of the family. Um, is it, do you find, I mean, that's always, that's like one of those difficult moments with, with parents. Do you, uh, have you gotten to the point where you're just like smiling and nodding or have you ever yes. come out and said, dad, that's not going to happen? Um, I just smile and nod for the most part. 
we did actually, my dad and I took a trip together to New York for the first time this past summer. We'd never done anything like that together. And New York, obviously, the theater mecca mm -hmm. of the world. I think that was really eye-opening for him mm -hmm. to see other people take seriously what I take seriously. Yeah. And in theater, or in New York, everyone takes theater seriously. They don't give you a look of pity or the nice little smile like, oh, yeah. that's nice, you want to be an actor. They immediately jump into a serious conversation about it. And for my dad to see, you know, men his own age talk about it in that way, I think was really eye-opening for him. Mm. Um, and sort of gave me some credibility as <laughs> to what I'm trying to do with my life. I'm like, yeah. Dad, I'm not the only one, I swear. Yeah. Um, and we went on a walking tour. This was my favorite, favorite thing that happened in New York. And I'd never been to New York before. So we went on a walking tour of Broadway, which is are led by actors in New York. Um, and so we were at the meeting place in Times Square. And I saw a girl with a binder. So I was like, hey, like, are you the girl I'm supposed to sign in with? And she was like, yeah. And she takes a step back and she sort of looks at me and was like, are you an actor? And I was like, so taken aback, so thrown off. I was like, um, like, yeah, I am. But you probably say that to everyone. And she was like, no, no, I don't. And I was like, oh, I was like, well, yeah, I am. She's like, yeah, I can tell. And then continued writing. And for me, that was a huge moment and for my dad to see someone else recognize that in me yeah. was very powerful someone born and raised in new york in the theater world she'd been on broadway i didn't ask her why because i didn't want to get into i feel like i don't know it might have been a rude question i could look her up online um <laughs> i'll find out um but for someone who's in that environment her whole life born and raised knows actors knows theater to see that in me upon a first impression mm. was insane for me did you, uh, so it was your first trip to, to New York. Yeah. What, what did you, what did you see? So we saw The Lion King. Uh -huh. There are so many things that I would have loved to have seen. Um, you but... can only see so many things, yes. which is the problem, right? There's only, there's a finite amount of time, there's a finite amount of money. There's only yes. so many things you can yes. see. Yes, and again, my dad being very conservative, we weren't going to walk into Kinky Boots. Uh -huh. It's just yeah. not his ball game. Mm -hmm. um, and then we saw The Blue Man Group. Okay. Um, which was hilarious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've never seen anything like that. Just what I took away from New York was excellence. Like everything is excellent there. Even the Blue Man Group, something so stupid as throwing marshmallows into your mouth across the stage, but they were excellent at mm -hmm. it. It's so absurd to be excellent at something so great. Or so ridiculous, but everything was just of a higher caliber there, mm. and it was really inspiring. Yeah. Did you take what any of the things that you learned in New York? Did you brought? You, I mean, you you observed them. Have you had the opportunity to like put anything that you learned from your trip to New York into practice here? Well, um, right before I went to New York, I got cast in An Ideal Husband with the Toronto Irish Players. So that was really inspiring to know I was coming back to a project and then take all that inspiration and put it into all my preparation for my role. I just knew that when I was on stage, I wanted to be as excellent as the people on stage mm -hmm. in New York. And obviously, like, I'm not trying to say I am, but just having that inspiration yeah. um, for my preparation was amazing. Yeah. That's, that's great. I mean, that's obviously... Uh, I mean... Well, I don't know what else you, what you, what you took from New York. I don't know what else a lot of people would take because that is like there's a certain caliber <laughs> of things. I think there are things in in I don't know about I, other places, but in Toronto we kind of let them slide. Mm -hmm. A certain sometimes I've seen a certain bit of sloppiness that we would permit here because it'll do mm -hmm. that would never stand no. there. But I think part of the difference is I know. In New York, they will workshop things for years. Mm -hmm. And we don't workshop in Canada. Not like they do in New York. We might do a workshop. Or we right. might do... Um, <clears throat> sometimes not even that. And that... We end up allowing a bit of sloppiness that, that, that would never fly there. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that reminds me not a lot of sloppiness. The so we took a tour of the Lincoln Center, so the ballet, mm-hmm. um, the Met, and the Philharmonic, and they were saying how they rebuilt the Philharmonic House. I think three times until the sound inside was absolutely perfect. Mm. And the first and second time they built it, it sounded amazing, but it wasn't perfect. Mm. So they redid it until wow. it was absolutely perfect. Mm. Uh, which, yeah, we don't take the time to always do here <laughs> until things are absolutely perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you. Okay. Um, you, you were talking about the school that you went to and, mm-hmm. and the change that, that happened there and how you came to Toronto with a, with a group of friends. Did, did you guys have a plan when, for when you got here or did you come completely like, we'll get there and we'll figure it out? Sort of. Yeah, we'll get there. I'm very responsible and sort of the grounded one of my group of friends. So I had a job in Winnipeg that was able to transfer me to a location in Mississauga. So I had an income when I came here, which was very important. I don't know if I would have moved if I wasn't sure of an income just Mm -hmm. to live off of, regardless of the creative side of why I was moving. Um, So I think I did that in a really responsible and smart way. But other than that, we had no idea. Mm -hmm. Just like, we'll come, we'll get agents <laughs> will I don't know what we thought it was kind of irresponsible in a way like we definitely didn't come with enough money that we needed but we were just at a point where I think we thought if we didn't do this now we weren't going to do it and we yeah. were going to be one of those people that say we're going to move away say we're going to move to the big city and never do it is there a lot of that in Winnipeg yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of people that say they want to do things and then don't which is very sad. And you see people who for years say, oh, I'm going to do that. I'll get to it. Like, of course. But, you know, if you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? Yeah. Yeah. So. When, uh, when you got here, what were the first lessons you learned about Toronto theater? The first lessons I learned about Toronto theater, um, well, I think the first things I saw were Mervis shows. Mm-hmm. So I was... <clears throat> blown away and very intimidated I don't know if that's a lesson per se um, but I just knew that I had to step up my game Mm -hmm. if I wanted to be a part of this Um, yeah how did you how did you see yourself stepping up like what what was your plan for stepping up your game I just classes and workshops and you know taking care of myself Mm-hmm. physically um and again that was hard and it even is hard still now because those classes <laughs> cost money and those I think that's always the thing with independent performers for lack of a better word um you are always wanting to take classes get new headshots update your look but all those things cost money and if you're not getting paid from theater how do you balance it most expensive <laughs> profession in the world because yeah. You are always taking classes and you're always, um, you know, gym membership for this, that, and the other yeah. thing. Need headshots, need this, need that. Um, uh, it's it's like there's always something else to spend money on, which yeah. is a problem. And I think when I first moved here, it took me a while to really dive into it. Like I'm right now having just done that show in the fall and um, I just did a show this weekend at not theater per se, but a dance show this weekend. I think right now is the most in the theater community I've been since moving here, which is great now, but it took a while to get there just because I was so worried about everything else. Like I'd never lived on my own before. I'd never paid bills before. Oh, like, that's I'm a big, straight that's out a of big. my mom's house across the country. <clears throat> okay. So yeah. it was a lot of life lessons yeah. for me. <laughs> a lot of firsts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of becoming, I mean, the theater community, there's so many different levels to the theater community in, in, in Toronto and so many different spots to go. There isn't mm-hmm. really a theater community. Um, and you talked about, you know, you did the show with the Toronto Irish Players mm-hmm. um, and now dance. Are there a lot of people in the dance 
group that you're with or a lot of theater people or is it like people from all over? It's really people from all over. So um, at the beginner levels, it's a lot of people just doing this, you know, when they come home from work as something fun. Um, for me, it was something that I could add to my special skills at the bottom of my resume. <laughs> um, and the higher levels are performers, whether it be, uh, I don't know if a lot of them are actors, but they're professional dancers mm -hmm. that, you know, when shows come through, they're the backup dancers on right. stage behind, you know, Lady Gaga or whoever. Right. Um, but yeah, the beginner, it's a lot of, you know, like if you take a entry-level class at Second City. It's just people who want to get out of their shells, right. you know, after their day job. Yeah. Um, but it does give you a chance to get on stage and be in front of people, which is what I love. Did you find a difference in the way that you had, like, for yourself, it's one thing, to me, It for me, it's one thing um, for to get up and do theater. I have, I do not feel confident about my dance ability at all. <laughs> Did you find it different to be up there dancing than in theater? Yes, um, because I think you're more worried about how you look when you're dancing. When I'm acting in a play, I'm not worried about how I look. Like, if my hair is done right and my costume is done right, that's someone else's job that I know they've made me look good, so I don't have to worry about that. On stage in a dance um setting i'm worried about what every inch of my body is doing at all times mm. i'm very aware of that mm. um sense and i don't have to worry about what's going on in my brain yeah. so much um yeah so the physical aspect i think is the huge difference like mm. you do of course have your blocking and your choreography in a play but that's not what you're focused on. You're focused on, you know, what's going on between you and your scene partner. There's a little more freedom in a play. Freedom of movement, freedom of interpretation, yeah. freedom of, of... And you can't deviate from choreography. Right. Because it looks like garbage when you do. Yeah. Um, and if you deviate, it just doesn't make sense. And then you're not... You're screwing up someone else. I think with actors... If you even say a line differently or say, or you move to a different spot, the other actor will go with it. Yeah. The other actor will adapt because that's what actors do. They yeah. adapt. Dancers, especially if they're not professional dancers, if you screw up, you're screwing everyone else up, not just yourself. Mm -hmm. And so that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Um, which is great because that makes you feel like you're a part of something. But at the same time, don't screw it up for anyone else. Well, that's, I mean, that's the, that's always, that's the thing about like, you know, in dance, when you screw it up for everybody else, either they have to figure out how to cover mm -hmm. if possible, or to fill in the spot that you're in. Does somebody have to be there? Yeah. It's so, it's, it's like a completely different thing. Whereas on stage, if you do a different, if you move differently, say a line differently, the act, your, your acting partner would just be like, oh, okay, that's neat. Yeah. You know, which is a completely different thing. Yeah. <clears throat> did you ever see yourself as a dancer before you did this? No. No. Like, I'd taken classes in high school on and off. Um, and I did, like, gymnastics and ballet when I was very, very young. But I never thought of myself as a dancer until I started. And I still wouldn't even classify myself as a dancer, which is kind of weird because I've done three shows now, three different shows, sets of shows, I guess. Um, so now I'm definitely more confident in that mm -hmm. way. Um, but no, I never saw myself as a dancer. And was it just to get that extra um, special skill on your resume? Or I was think, there something else that sort of drew you to, to this? I think that's what it started as, um, was something else, you know, and again, going back to upping your game, yeah, being, yeah. you know, having different skills that maybe not everyone else in the casting room has. Um, that's what it started as. And then when I started the program, it became so much more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, uh, this might sound cheesy, but it really is a community. And the woman who created this program is all about female empowerment and sisterhood. And, you know, even those words coming out of my mouth sound a little cheesy, but in reality, it's a very strong feeling to be in a room with that many women feeling confident and feeling beautiful and feeling powerful is 
moving. Yeah. And so it, yeah, it started as that, and then it sort of became something a lot deeper. Yeah. It's funny because you, you talk, you're just talking about how saying things like empowerment and this sort of thing sounds cheesy, but... When it shouldn't. When it shouldn't. it does. Um, why, why do you think that is? I mean, we're deviating from talk of theater, but yeah. like, why do you think that, that you find it, like, cheesy when you, when, when you use those phrases? I think society just has put all these restrictions on women and... You know, you even say the word feminist and people get defensive, people get aggressive when it shouldn't be an aggressive word. No. It's defined as social, political, and economic equality. That shouldn't be offensive. No, it it shouldn't, but there's people who react poorly to it. Yeah. You know, there's people who react almost violently to this thing that shouldn't. So I think. It's not threatening, but. It's just ingrained in me that I shouldn't say those words, that I shouldn't be confident saying those words. Which is stupid. Sort of why you, I guess you need, like, it's helpful to do this thing. Do you want to, I mean, we haven't, I talked about what it is. Army of Sass is, yeah. is the group that you, that you dance with. Yeah. And, like, I took a look at the website there. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so what is this thing? And it, it seems to be that's the primary thing is mm-hmm. empowerment and uh, sort of like a woman's community sort of thing. Yeah. Um, which... You know, we need more of in in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you uh, so now now you've got the extra thing on your on your resume. You have a dancer. Uh, do you have dance on there as your as the special skill, or is there? I put specifically that it's the army of sass and the level I'm in, mm, okay. um, because surprisingly. A ton of people know what this is. Like, I've met people for the first time and started to explain it to them. And they'd be like, oh, Army of Sass, I totally know what that is. And That's great. So I put it specifically on there. But if casting directors or whoever asks, um, you know, they can look it up. I can pull up videos in mm. two seconds and show them what yeah. we do. Yeah. Um. And that's not something that you ever saw yourself doing before. No, not at all. <laughs> I was looking. I was looking at classes because I knew I wanted to do something. So I was looking at like circus classes and silks classes and different dance classes because I know some girls that do silks and mm-hmm. it just looks so cool. Yeah. Um, and then I just decided on this one. I actually decided on this one because I, at the very beginning, um, I know a girl. I did a film with a girl who used to teach. So that's how I sort of was introduced to it. I wondered because there's all there's I mean you, there's always like a, like a gateway yeah. person for something like that. Whether yeah. it's I knew somebody who did silks or went into silks or something mm-hmm. like that. I wondered if what what your entry into Army of Sass was. Yeah, so I did a movie in 2013, and one of the girls um, was a dancer who was sort of doing the opposite, trying to transition from dance into more acting Mm. and then I met her and then she would post about how she teaches these great classes and then so I sort of stopped the whole program online for about (laughs) six months and would watch the different teachers and watch their videos and was like I don't know if I can do this like I don't know if it's for me I don't know if I'm that confident um and then I decided that was a stupid train of thought yeah and I joined what was there anything that put you over the edge to actually doing it? Or was it just that you finally decided it was time to get off your butt and do it? I think a little bit of that and a little bit of seeing over those six months when I was being a creep online, um, seeing how much of a family that they really did seem mm. like, like they would go out together, they would socialize together. And I think that was a huge um, selling point for me. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, so we've talked a, a lot about, you know, we talked a bit about the, the dance and the, mm-hmm. and, and, um, you know, the, the sudden shift in grade 12 towards acting. Um, if you hadn't taken that turn into acting and you'd been on this academic, uh, path, um, what line of academia do you think you would have pursued? I think I would have gone into journalism, mm-hmm. uh, if I hadn't gone into acting. And I remember looking at programs, I think I was looking at Ryerson, I don't know, I feel like there was some Mm -hmm. Canadian university that started with an R that had the best uh, journalism program, and now I can't remember, Um, but I think that's the path I would have gone. Mm. 
If I didn't. If you didn't take that yes. sudden left turn. Um, did you, uh, did you find, I mean, you, you, you've definitely like, you've made that, that switch from Winnipeg to, to Toronto. Did do, cause I know I've been to the, you know, Winnipeg fringe, which is second biggest fringe in Canada. It's, yeah, huge. it's huge. But of course I don't know anything about the theater community outside of, of fringe. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do, I mean, you've, you've talked about the, uh, the, the, the warehouse and the, the MTC and other spots there. Um, as somebody who was growing up in Winnipeg, um, did you find that um, <clears throat> that uh, there were opportunities to see theater or was it just because of the, you know, you did the movie thing and then if for a lot of people that's, you know, theater comes before movie or you do theater because it's a little more accessible than the movies. Mm -hmm. Did you... Did you have the opportunity in uh, Winnipeg to see much theater? Growing up, I don't remember seeing a lot. I know my mom would take me to some things, but I don't really remember. I think I just blacked out my entire childhood in my <laughs> mind. Um, but uh, I know the first Broadway show I ever saw is the tour came through, the tour of Wicked came through. <clears throat> Winnipeg mm -hmm. and I was maybe 15 or 16 and I sort of knew the story um so I bought my mom and I front row tickets mm -hmm. which were absurdly expensive but I was like no mom we have to like it's apparently the greatest thing ever and I remember watching that entire show through clouded eyes because mm -hmm. I was basically just in tears for the entire performance mm -hmm. from the time the curtains open till they end what do you think it was that that I mean I know I know there are later scenes in that that could like that justify that, but what was it about like from curtain open that really it hit was you? It, it's so insane. I almost can't describe it. It's just the curtain opening, and I knew that something magical was mm. going to happen. I don't know how mm. I knew it. I don't know why it affected me so much, but it did. And I, I wish I had a label for this indescribable feeling of seeing that, and I still get it when mm. I see a curtain open on a show. Mm. I still get it when I walk into a magnificent theater that I've never been in before. And maybe that, maybe that is it. The fact mm. that I can't describe it. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, it was so powerful. Yeah. That this world was being presented to me that I wasn't a part of, but a part of me was like, maybe I could be a part of that. Mm. And I don't know. <laughs> it, was, it was just insane. My mom yeah. kept leaning over and was like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, shh. Like, I'm watching magic. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But. And so that was like your first big show that, that you saw? That was the first yeah. big show I ever saw. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is really late in life to be 15 or 16 and maybe. I don't know. It, it's funny because, uh, you know, talking talking to a few people and there are people who they can remember like that moment when they were kids, the first theater they ever saw mm -hmm. that changed their life. And that was the thing they wanted to do. You know, they remember yeah. that moment. And then there are other people who don't have a defining moment. They just sort of like found themselves in theater sometimes by accident mm -hmm. and found they liked it. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say it was an accident for me. I think just from that, seeing that first set of lights, it was always in the back of my mind, but I would always shut it down. And then I think when I decided to go to college for it, that was when I decided that I needed to stop shoving it to the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. Because if it had been there for, you know, five or six years, maybe it actually did mean something. So stop shutting it down. Mm -hmm. Did you find that a difficult, like you were talking about, you know, just that left turn when you were in grade 12, mm -hmm. but all of a sudden to go from the academic to into the theater, did you, like, did you struggle with yourself on that or did you just go? No, I'm sort of a deep end person. Like mm. I jump into the deep end when I try new things. Um, so I probably should have been more nervous than I was. <laughs> um, it was just this like blind step, mm. blind jump. I don't know. You just went for it. Yeah. And I think this might sound terrible, but I'd always been good at things. I'd mm. been good at sports. I'd been good at academics. And those were the things my life revolved around. So 
I wasn't scared of trying something new, mm. which turned out to be a great positive. Yeah. I still don't think I'm great or anything, but I love trying. What was the, I mean, if you go from an academic ideal and you find yourself in a performing arts environment, sometimes I could, I could see that being a bit of a shock. Did you find the, like the shift into, uh, like being in the performing arts program any kind of, was there a culture shock? Was there anything like that when you went in? Um, I, like, yes and no. It was a lot more personal, mm -hmm. which I think was the biggest shock, was having to be vulnerable in front of people, having to share with people answers that didn't come from a textbook. Mm. So if it comes from a textbook, I can spit it out. Of course. But if it comes from inside, I have a harder time getting mm -hmm. that out. Yeah. And I think that was the the hardest transition for me was to because that's a language in itself, dealing course, with yeah. emotions and dealing with what you think about things on a deeper level. Um, dealing with that instead of dealing with facts and numbers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is a whole different language. Um so that I mean that's that's a huge difference. Um, what's the core? What was the course like? Was it like a conservatory course? Or was yeah, it more so of it was a, a one-year conservatory. So we were there every day. Um, I think there were seventeen of us, or it, we ended with seventeen. Started, I don't know, roughly that many. Um, so we got very close very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but even then, I still took an academic approach to it. And I still do take an academic approach to the arts. Like I go through everything. I write down, like I have a binder stacked of notes for every show that I've done. Mm -hmm. And other people didn't do that. And that seemed to work for them. I didn't understand how it worked if you didn't write everything <clears throat> out. Um, but, and then someone once said that Meryl Streep brings a binder of notes to her sets. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? If Meryl Streep writes out a binder, I write out a binder too. It's just fine. It's it's funny because when I was in theater school, one of the things they people always said was write it down. Mm -hmm. Write it down. At the end of the day, write it down. Everything, write it down. About 50% of us, maybe less, actually took that advice. Um, but I wish, now I kind of wish I had because I don't, remember all of the ideas that I had or things like that. It's yeah. like, I can't look back on mm -hmm. those things. And there's things that I wrote down that I didn't know why I was writing them down. Mm. Um, and I didn't understand them. And I didn't even know that I didn't understand them. But now I go back and I look at those ideas and those notes. I'm like, oh, okay, now I get what that means. Do you go back regularly? And look Not regularly, things? but every once in a while, like before a show, mm -hmm. if I'm stuck on something you know I'll go back and flip through things just get an idea and then I'll just get into something that is totally off the tangent of what I'm preparing for but it'll be like now I understand that like I knew what the teacher was saying at the time but now I understand it right and it's that sort of difference hmm. um so I am glad that I did was obsessive about writing everything yeah down. absolutely absolutely do you <clears throat> Do you have anything coming up that you're planning on? Like Do that you're working on? What is it? I don't oh, have no? anything no? coming up right now, unfortunately, other than Medieval Times, which I'm always there year All right, let's, 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 okay. let's talk about Medieval Times because this is one of those things that, I mean, actors have jobs that they, like there's things that you have to do to pay the bills. Yes. Um, some people wait tables. Right. Some people become princesses. Yes. Can you talk about... Um, how you became a princess. Yes. So I, oh, this is so fun. <laughs> I can just light up anytime anyone asks me about it. Um, so I saw the audition notice on Casting Workbook. Um, so I submitted. I got lost on my way to the audition. I'd never been late for an audition before in my life, other than this one. It seems rather absurd that you would miss a giant castle with knights in photographs on the sides of a building. But I had no idea what it was. I had no idea my way around the exhibition grounds, so I was wandering around. I walked into Liberty Grand asking for the audition spot, and some lady snapped at me. Anyways, I found the office, profusely apologized for being late, tried to assure them that I'd never done that before, which sounds like an excuse. Of course, yeah. Anyways, 
the audition went really well and then a week went by and I hadn't heard anything and I try not to get my hopes up after auditions because that will drive you insane. So hard. So hard though, right? Yeah. Especially when you feel like an audition has gone well. Yeah. It's hard to forget about it, but you have to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise you'll go mad. And I was just, I remember like standing behind the desk at my horrible retail job being like, oh, what if I could be a princess and it would just be perfect? Then I wouldn't have to work here anymore. And a week went by and I was like, okay, I'll just send a thank you letter. Short, quick, like, thanks for seeing me. And then, I don't know what they said. They gave me some answer, like, they were still deciding or something. I don't know. Anyways, I think a month went by before I got hired. And I had completely forgiven up at that point. And then I got an email like, hey, so we made a decision. Like, would you like to come on board? I was like, yes, of course. So describe what it is that, that you do. Okay. So, Medieval Times is a roughly 1,300-seat arena, um, like Coliseum-type seating arena with a huge sand pit in the middle. We have, and it's a Medieval Jousting Tournament. So we've got 24 horses. I think we have three or four. We have three different breeds of horse for sure. I think there's some mixed breeds in there as well. Um, and we have falcons. So there's a falcon show that demonstrates the art of falconry. Um, the knights, so we have six knights in a show, and we have a bad guy who comes to try and steal the princess away. Um, yeah, so the knights joust, they do, um, tournament games, and it's very interactive with the audience. Um, and the king and the princess are up on a dais on top of the, uh, arena, and we sit there, and we watch over our loyal minions, um... For the like it's just under two hours mm -hmm. the show I think and so we have two different scripts we have um, the regular show which is the evening afternoon weekend show um, and then we have an educational show so grade fours learn about medieval history mm. um, so we get a lot of grade four field trips coming and then we do the educational show for them which is a lot more explaining the history of you know, the medieval weapons and that time period. And then the knights walk them through choreography and show them how the show works um, with the choreography and the weapons. What's your favorite part of being a princess? My favorite part of being a princess is after the show when I go out and talk to people. So I actually talk to guests before and after the show. But before the show, people are can be really tentative. They don't know what they're walking into, especially if they've never been there before. So they're weirded out <laughs> by these weirdos in these huge costumes, in this huge castle. But after the show, everyone is excited. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to talk to, about it. They want to talk to you. They want to talk to the knights. And that is really rewarding to get to talk to people who are excited about the show that you just put on for them, mm. especially grade fours. And the <laughs> educational audiences are the best because 10-year-olds love kings and princesses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so sometimes we have like nine to 1,200 kids in the audience. So to have that many kids coming up to you, running up to you, asking you questions, you know, complimenting you till yeah. the roof flies off, it's it's a big ego boost, yeah, if yeah. I'm being honest. It's yeah. a huge ego boost. And it's so fun. And they're so genuine because they really believe in the magic. They believe that we're kings and princesses. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt in their mind that we're, you know, these characters. And right. that's so cool mm -hmm. to see little kids who are still believe in the magic. Have you, ever, have you ever done children's theater? No, I haven't. But I imagine that it's much of the same. There's a lot of that to children's theater like first off children are closer to their imaginations than yeah. grown-ups are mm -hmm. and so they will just go with pretty much anything yeah it's only as they get older that they start saying no to things that they see on stage or that's not how it works it's mm -hmm. funny how, how how that changes but i think you'd, you you would find that probably really really interesting to, yeah. to do as well similar to what you're doing there mm -hmm. um Every you, once in a while, you get that one kid who's like, you're an actor. Yes. And you're just like, yeah. shh. 
Yeah. Don't tell don't, the others. Don't ruin it for yeah, everybody don't else. Don't ruin the magic. There's always that. There's always that one kid. Yeah. Who's always like, it's not real. Yeah. But you know. And then you. And then I just look at the king, and he bangs his sword on the ground, and then the kid sort of gets wide-eyed when they see that the sword is real. Then <laughs> <laughs> they shh. <laughs> um, are you on social media at all? Aside from, you know, everybody has their own Facebook page, but do you have I Twitter am on Twitter. It's at Sarah underscore C underscore W. And Facebook is just my name, Sarah Wynn Stanley. I do not have Instagram. <laughs> I was. You seem to be saying that with a certain amount yes, of pride, I was, not to... No, I was on and off Instagram for a while, and I became sort of obsessed with it. Obsessed with notifications, obsessed with posting, obsessed with liking every single picture. And I was like, this is unhealthy. I look at it before I go to bed. I look at it when I wake up in the morning. And, you know, when I'm at work, I'm like, what's happening on Instagram? Like, I was like, this is not healthy for me mm-hmm. as an individual. Other people seem to handle it well. I did not. And... So I just decided think, Twitter you, and Facebook were enough. What do you think that that says about 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 you that the Instagram obsession? Um, that I'm a narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being honest. Well. Um, yeah, I I don't know. <laughs> two two apps to check is enough for me, and yeah. I don't have Snapchat. Mm. I'm just like, no, I can't. I gotta cap my yeah social media. And part of me is like, I should because I'm an actor and I need to promote myself in that way. But at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, that's probably a little bit healthy to, because, you know, yeah. you shouldn't be spending all of your time on the social media. You should be spending more of your time, yeah. you know, doing things. doing things. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for talking with me today, thank Sarah. Thank you for having great. me. I was very excited. Thank you. Thank you.